0: Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that will help you with your life shaped by the way. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. And let me say welcome to, I assume, a few guests out there, a couple of friends that joined us on this Friend Day. You said yes to an invitation as a co worker, a neighbor, a family member, and you're here today. And I am confident that uh, whoever invited you is really excited about that and uh, very grateful as am i thank you for giving up your sunday morning to come and share that with us i want you to know my wife karen and i have Prayed for you this week that in your time here this morning you would experience God's presence. You would experience his his goodness, his grace, and, and boy, that would just be felt at wherever you need that the most in your life right now. So welcome to the heights. This is a, a day we've prayed a lot about, but then I think, you know, we really didn't think through this calendar wise because we invited you to join us on a day in which we're at the end of something. We have been in a series on uh, heaven and hell since all the way back September 18th. We we had a Sunday or two, we were doing something else, but most of that time since September 18th, we have been looking, studying each week, heaven and hell. And uh, I think... I think today's the sixth or seventh Sunday that we've been on that. We're going to wrap that up next week. We finish this series. And with all this information we've learned, we're going to conclude next week with, hey, can I know, can I be certain where I'm going to end up? Can somebody know that? How would I know that? So that's what we're going to be looking at next week. But today, we are looking, and again, some of this, what we're looking at, it comes in the context of what we've learned We've learned that not only is there a heaven and a hell, but we've seen these are places out there in the future that we enter. Not today if I die, but out there in the future. There, look, there we go. There we're going into the new heaven and the new earth, and and there's people going into hell. Well, if that is a future event out there, well, then wait a minute. Where are people right now? I thought right now we went to a heaven and a hell. We're, we're going to try to understand uh, that question today. It seems, if not mildly interesting, kind of important to know where we go when we die. You know, I, uh, speaking of dying, I have, um, I've, been in, I've been in ministry a little over 30 years. And in that time, I've done over 150 funerals. And when I use the word funeral, I'm kind of talking about like that from that moment that they die, to that several days there in between. And then there's visitation and then there's funeral. And I, I, in that time, man, I I have seen, I mean, 150 funerals, right? I've seen a lot. I I don't want to say, you know, I never get surprised anymore because when I say that, that puts some of you feel like I'm challenging you to surprise me. It's not a challenge, but you know, after 150, you feel like you've seen it all. I I mean, you, you can do the math and figure that out. Yes, obviously I've I've buried men and women. I've buried young and I've buried old. I've, I've buried people that had a sudden and tragic death and buried people that had a long, drawn-out approach to their death. Uh, I, I, I've obviously most buried, died of natural causes. I've, I've done a couple of murders. That's a very different situation to enter into. Um, I, I've been in a room where somebody was like just out of control with emotion and kind of leaving everybody kind of that, you know, that awkward feeling like nobody knows what to do. And I've been in a room where somebody was so emotionless, it was kind of awkward and nobody knew what to do. So, I mean, I, I've kind of seen all this. I want to say I don't get that surprised anymore. But you know where I still get surprised? And I, I think a lot in our church family will already know where I'm going with this is Bible-believing, Bible-reading, Bible-studying people in a moment of grief will just latch on to any crazy idea that goes by and forget everything they've learned, forget everything they know and believe. And, and probably where this is most common, I can't put a number on this, but if I was guessing, I would say out of all of the funerals, remember from the moment they died to the funeral... All that in between. 90% of the time, I'm going to hear at least one person say they've gone to be an angel. No, they have not. They have not gone to be an angel. That was never the goal. That was never the reward. Not one, get this, not one single verse in the Bible says anything like that. Nowhere in any Christian tradition, now there may be some small offshoot out there that I don't know about, but to my knowledge, nowhere in any Christian tradition has it been a teaching that we become angels. We we do not become angels, and that's okay, don't be disappointed, the reward is still great. But the reason I bring that up is because man, when I'm hurting, when I'm scared, when I'm grieving. I want to hold on to something that's real and true. I think right answers, right understanding, right thinking can be a real source of comfort, a source of peace, can give me direction, help me navigate what I'm going through, whether I'm grieving the, the loss of somebody I love or, or whether I'm dealing with my own immortality. I'm, I'm dealing with the fact that I'm going to die. I want to anchor in that moment to what is true. And you know, it's, it's actually God that kind of marries grief and knowledge, that, that those two things go together. Now, that's not to say if right at this moment you're crying, you need to dive into a deep study and do a lot of homework. No, it, it, it's okay just to be crying. But at some point to navigate that crying, to navigate that hurt, we, we need to understand what's true. And what information has been given. Let me show you God saying this. If you have a Bible with you today, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If if you have your Bible, that's going to be, oh gosh, 90% or more of the way through your Bible. If you're using a Bible app, start at the end and just scroll up and you'll come to the book faster that way. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4... And I'm going to begin in verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed. And let me just stop right there. God just said, hey, listen, I don't want you to not understand. I, I, I don't want you to be confused about what's happening and what's going on. I want you to know. And so he starts to think to tell us, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That's an important line. If I die today and Jesus hasn't returned yet, then when he returns, I'll be with him. Right there, it says that, right? I'll return with him. Now hold on to that line because we're not even going to read but about two or three more sentences. And it's going to re- we're going to read something that almost sounds like a contradiction. Okay? So there we are. I'm returning with Jesus. Verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord... Will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Wait a minute. Why am I rising? I I thought I was with Jesus and coming back for. for well, yeah. So now we've got to work through our bodies rising up out of the grave. But I'm already with Jesus, with the body. The only way I would know how to explain that is we have a temporary body right now that will be joined with our old body into a new glorified body. Boy, that is a lot to understand and grab a hold of, but we're going to see all that this morning. For the Lord himself, uh, then we who are alive, who are left, verse 17, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with The Lord. Now look at that last line. The first line said, I don't want you to not know. And then it closes by saying, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Our way to navigate grief is with truth. Now, this isn't our key passage today, but three things real quickly that we can see from what we read. Not doing a deep dive, not breaking down all there is to understand there, but I can see right there, number one, God wants me to know what's happening in death, my death, somebody else's death, whether I'm grieving my own, imagining and trying to sort through my own. Either way, we have God very clearly here saying, I want you to know what is happening, what is going to happen. The second thing that we see is it is okay to grieve. It says there, I don't want you to grieve. Ah, finish the sentence as those who have no hope. Okay, folks, it's, it's not a sin to hurt. It's not a sin to cry. It's not a lack of faith to cry out and, and to be hurting in pain in that grief. Okay, that's not a sin. But God has given us a way that as we navigate that, we land in hope. Boy, that's good news, isn't it? I'm hurting right now. I don't like right now. But as I hold on to truth, I can land in a place where there's going to be hope. And then number three, and I think this is the big one, God has a plan. God knows what is happening next, and God has a plan. I may not understand all that plan. I may not be able to connect all the dots in what he's saying here, and why does this happen, and where does it... See, I I might be kind of ignorant of all the plan, but you know what? When I'm hurting, I can remember, if nothing else, I may not have a plan, (laughs) but God does. Somebody knows what's going on. Somebody has a plan. You know, folks, I don't think there's anything like death that brings you and I into a collision with the unknown. And that's not a good, that's a scary place to be. You know, some, somebody dies and all of a sudden, let's say it's somebody real close to us and, and we're asking all these questions. Man, how do I go on without them? Who, who, you know, they always did that. Who's going to do this now? How am I going to get through this? are they okay? Are they in a good place? Are they happy? Where am I going to be? And these are for a moment sometimes, and maybe it's more than a moment. So many of these questions can seem like they have no answers. There's just an an unknown. And that causes fear. That causes anxiety. We're, We're never operating in a good place or from a good place when we're scared and we don't feel like there's any answer out there in front of us. But hey, I may not know, but I can hold on to God. I can anchor to God. He has an answer. He has a plan, right? So what is that plan? I mean, he wants us to know, right? <laughs> where, where where do we go to from here? Hey, God, what happens next? Now, in the again, in the context of our series, we've learned about heaven and hell being these future places that we go to. Well, if in there in the future, then what about now? We use the word heaven and hell in a very general sense. Heaven is where people who are going to be with God believe in God. That's where they're going. And then those who don't, they're going to hell. And that, for most of us, just that's the description. You're going either to heaven or you're going to hell after you die. But when we open God's word, we find out it's, it's appropriate to use the word heaven and hell. But when we open God's word, we find out, man, there's a lot of things happening. After I die. There's a lot of things happening. After Jesus comes back. And we learn about a, a rapture. And resurrection. We learn about a tribulation. And a, a millennium. And then all of a sudden. We're being introduced to a, a new heaven. And a new earth. And, a, and the lake of fire. Or hell. I mean there's a lot of details out there. That are very specific. And it's in that context. That we see heaven and hell. Out there in the future. And then we're left asking where do we go now does the bible explain that yes it does we 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 go to paradise and hades okay a- another idea thing it's a kind of an intermediate heaven or an intermediate hell and that's a weird term it's not used in the bible we've probably never heard those terms before the terms the bible does use again for hell it's paradise And for heaven, it's paradise. For hell, it's Sheol in the Old Testament. Hades in the New Testament or the Greek language. and, And that means the place of the dead. And so the Bible actually details, hey, here's where we are in the future. Here's where we go immediately. And folks, it's so important to understand that. Because when I start opening God's word and seeing all these details after death... I have no way to connect all this or even see that, hey, is this passage contradicting itself? Because this seems, let me give you an example. Turn to Revelation 21. Very end of your Bible. Revelation 21. Uh, and let me read there. These, these are going to be folks that are with God in heaven. Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God, is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither's there shall be neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed. You know, I don't even think you have to be a, a Bible believer, a, a Bible reader. If you've heard something about heaven, you probably heard one of the phrases I just read, that no more tears. You know, heaven's where there's no more tears. There's no more crying. There's no more death. Everything is right and good. Isn't that what you think of? I die and I go to heaven and in heaven, no more tears, no more crying. Ah, but wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Turn to Revelation 6. Revelation 6, a few pages earlier. And we're going to see some people in heaven with God, Revelation 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. These are people who have died because of their faith in Christ and they've given witness of the gospel. They were killed for that. Verse 10 They cried out with a loud voice, O oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? Have you ever asked the question, how long, and not been at a little point of tension and conflict? I, I, I want something to be resolved. How much longer is this going to be? How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then the answer comes back. Then they were each given a white robe and they were told to rest a little longer. Rest. Be still be quiet, trust me, because the answer is not yet. Not yet is that coming. Now, folks, these are people in heaven, and yet clearly they're crying out. There's some angst that not everything is right and good. Now, either I think, boy, there's a contradiction here in God's word on one verse. He's no more crying, no more pain, everything's right. No, that's the future heaven. Right now, we're in paradise, and there, there still can be angst. There, there can still be a crying out. No, oh my gosh, I say that, and I feel like I've just knocked all the shine off of dying and going to heaven. Wait a minute, I thought it was supposed to be good. Are you telling me it's not good when we go there? If I could take you right now for 60 seconds to paradise, you would not come back. If you could for 60 seconds peek into where we go immediately to be with God, you would not come back. You would not come to say goodbye. You would not come to tidy up any loose ends. Paradise is everything you could want and imagine, okay? And yes, there is still an ultimate heaven to come. There is still things that need to be resolved because all's not resolved in the world. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what that what is it like in Hades? What is it like in paradise right now? Turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 verse 19. Luke 16 verse 19. Now what I'm about to read is a, a parable. It's a story. Okay? Parables do not necessarily have to be true in actual events. It's a story to teach a point. We would probably in our day call it an illustration, right? I'm going to tell you this story and it kind of illustrates my point. It's not necessary that the story is true. It's it's just I'm making a point. Now, when Jesus tells stories, his stories are not myths. His stories are not fables. All of his stories correspond to actual reality. That's why we can learn something from these stories. Now, interesting thing about this parable this, Jesus tells a lot of parables in the gospels. This is the only one in which he gives his characters a name. And some people have looked at that and thought, Hey, wait a minute. Maybe this is not just a story for a teaching. Maybe these are actual people. This is a real conversation that took place. I, I don't know, but Hey, here's the good news. It's an actual, these are actual people and an actual event or not. Either way, I am I can receive from Jesus teaching on paradise and Hades. So let's read this passage. Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. "'Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. "'The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. "'The rich man also died and was buried, "'and in Hades, being in torment.' He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Boy, that gives us some insight. We, 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 You know, the idea of anguish and torment and fire is not new. But listen to this. One single drop of water sounds like comfort to somebody that's there. That That's the kind of torment. A, not a glass of water, not even a good swallow of water, a single drop. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. I want to be real clear, and the, the story will make this clear the reason we're in heaven or hell is not how we live this life in the sense of I, I was comfortable and, and satisfied or I was poor and miserable. That, that, that's not the basis and it's going to make that real clear here in just a moment. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Boy, that kind of, that kind of takes the idea out that maybe, I mean, how bad can hell be as long as I'm there with people I love, as long as I'm there with friends? Nobody who loves you, nobody who would call you a friend would ever want you for a single second to join them in Hades. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. That phrase, Moses and the prophets, that's our way of saying the Bible. That's what they called the Bible, Moses and the prophets. And so he says, no, I don't need to send Lazarus. They have the Bible. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham. But if somebody goes to them from the dead, they will repent. See, that's the key. Not, not what I had or didn't have. Listen, if it was just whether I was poor or rich, that determined. Then he said, hey, go tell my brothers they need to get rid of all their stuff and live a poor, miserable life. No, he said, no, they need to repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You know, I'll be honest with you. I want to disagree right there. I I just really believe, you know, that if somebody came back from the dead and said, hey, stupid, it's all real. There's a heaven, there's a hell. You're going to one of them. I don't know. I think that'd have an impact on me. But then I go to the scripture and all through the Bible where people engage with miracles, it's stunning how often that doesn't change anything about what they believe and how they live. So they're, There's truth here. Now, just like we did with Thessalonians, let's just observe some things from this story. Number one, there's going to be five things. Number one, when I die, when Lazarus died, he was carried by angels to paradise. Now, I'm just going to say right now, I want a ticket for that ride. I may not become an angel, but I'm all for taking a ride with one, huh? That... That sounds kind of cool. I look forward to that moment when angels whisk me up and carry me to, and notice the word used here, I go to paradise. Now, we might wonder, and by the way, I think something being said one time in the Bible is enough, don't you? But you might wonder now, okay, is that just one place? Is that just another name for heaven? You know, Jesus is on the cross, and the, the, the thief next to him repents, just like the guy in here knew that needed it. What does it mean to repent? The word actually means you turn. That, that, that's the literal meaning of the word. I turn. I'm going the way of sin and self. I'm living in my sin and I trust myself. I trust my ability to be religious. I trust my ability to be spiritual. I trust my goodness. I trust it'll all work out in the end. I trust there is no God and it doesn't even matter. The bottom line is I'm trusting in me. I repent. I turn from that and I place my faith and trust in Christ and what he has said. I believe on him and what he accomplished for me at the cross. That becomes my belief and confidence. I repent and that thief on the cross looked at jesus can you imagine this what he's looking at beaten bloodied bruised and the thief says i believe you're god now that's some faith right there this guy's in the same condition i am and he's probably going to die before i do and i believe you're god and jesus looked at him and said today not after soul sleep not, not one day in the future, not, not way out there after these other... No, today you will be with me, and what did Jesus say? In paradise. You know, folks, it's amazing. We, we read passages, we just don't always connect the dots. The, the Bible's always been very clear about this. Where we go today is paradise. And it's, it's wonderful. We're with God. That that's the key that we need to know. There, the, the word paradise uh, means walled in garden, uh, an enclosed garden. May, maybe it's maybe it's the garden of Eden. I I, I don't know, uh, but but that is that is where we go, and we are we're with God. That's the real key. And not only told here in the story, but it is the teaching. Of the New Testament. Second Corinthians five, eight, Philippians one twenty-three, make it very clear that to close my eyes in this world is to immediately open my eyes to the next world and as a believer to the face of Jesus. So we go to paradise and we're with God. Number two. The rich man dies and he goes to, and a name is given for it, he goes to Hades. It is a place of torment. It is a place of anguish. Now, let me back up from number two and speak for both number one and number two. There is a moment out in the future where there's a judgment. And from that judgment, we see then people entering a new heaven and a new earth. We see people entering the lake of fire in hell. That's out there in the future. But the moment we die, we go to the place that represents the judgment that is coming to us. If I'm a child of God and I'm on my way to heaven, then I go to paradise. And that is very heaven-like. And the reward begins, even though the judgment is still out there. If I am not a child of God, I've not placed my trust in Christ, I'm, I'm depending on me, and I'll handle my sin, then I'm going to go to Hades, and it is very hell-like, and, and my punishment begins, even though the judgment is still out there. Number three, the rich man, Lazarus, Abraham, all maintain their identities. Now, I say that, if you were here last week, you know, we we did a Q&A, and uh, we had about 40-some people turn in questions. We had almost a 100 a questions. They weren't 100 different questions. There was some overlap, some repetition in that. But a lot of questions basically asking, am I me? When, when I get to heaven, is it, is it my face? Is it my name? Is it my voice? Is it my memory? Are, are they my relationships? And boy, I can look at this story and say, yes, 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 and Yes. They, they are who they are today. It is the exact same as who they were in the afterlife. They have memory of what they had in, in, in before. They, they're they conscious of why, where they are and why they're there. All of that is intact in this parable. Now, is, is there anywhere else that happens? Yes, we have two people come from the afterlife for a visit. Back into this world. Sounds kind of strange and creepy, right? We've got Moses and Elijah. Elijah never died, but that's another story. Moses and Elijah coming from the afterlife, and they're there with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and that is witnessed by Peter, James, and John. We have Samuel, who died. Went, went to what we now know as paradise, and he came back and had a moment with Saul. Now, to be clear, because right now we're starting to think, so there are ghosts. So, so people can come and visit us after they've died. I would not say that. Now I know we've got people in this room that have experiences because I've talked to a lot of people who have experiences. I'm not God. I'm not the judge. I can't determine what every single experience means or doesn't mean. What I can do is the same thing that you can do and that is go to God's word to measure everything. You say, well, you just said. Well, let's think about what I just said. Three people, two events spread out over 1,500 years. Four people were witnesses of that. I would not make a case from that, that getting visits from people who've gone to the grave is normal. I would use that to say it is extremely abnormal, entirely supernatural and miraculous, and totally not to be expected. Four people in 1,500 years experienced that. I would use that to say this does not appear to be a normal way that God works. Does that make sense? Now, having said all that, <laughs> when we look at those two places where that happens, Samuel is in the afterlife who he was before. Moses and Elijah are who they were before. Remember, they're going to be resurrected one day, and their body's going to come out of the, the ground. It's dust now, but it'll come out of the ground and meet the, But they're clearly they're in some kind of body right now. Say, I wonder what it's like. Well, it seems it's a lot like what you got right now. Because like when Peter and James and John saw Moses, oh, look at that. Our new body has three arms. No, I mean, honestly, if it was radically different, don't you think they would have noted that? No, they knew who they were. They knew their name. They knew their face. Body looked normal. So, yes, we are who we are in the afterlife. Number four. Number four, there appears to be a consciousness. Okay, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in Hades I'm in paradise, I am conscious of where I am, I am conscious of the life before me, and I am conscious of of what's going on right now back here, family, friends in the world. I've had people ask me before, hey, you know, if I've gone to heaven where there's no more tears, ah, see how we think? Wait a minute, the no more tears... That's still to come. Even if somebody's in paradise now, the no more tears is still to come. Because I can be in paradise right now and be aware of maybe something going on in those I love that causes some level of grief. I, folks, think about it. Christ is in heaven, right? The Bible says that Christ grieves. I don't think that means Christ is grieving every moment of every day, but it says he grieves. The Holy Spirit is in heaven. He grieves You know know why the Bible says the Holy Spirit grieves? He grieves because you and I sin. Which I think that would mean he grieves all the time. We just read a passage, Revelation chapter 6. They're grieving because of a situation going on in the world. So I I do think that in paradise or Hades, there seems to be some working knowledge of what's going on. What I'm referring to here is the, the guy in Hades, he knows about his five brothers, right? He didn't say, when I were when I left, man, they were living like hell. No, he didn't say that. It sounds like he knows their current, hey, they right now, I know, they're on the wrong path. They need to repent right now. I know that. He seems to have a general awareness. Now, folks, having an awareness does not mean that he has access to their homes and he's in there watching them every day. Okay, that's very, very it's different to have an awareness than those who love me and have gone before me are in my house watching everything I do. Oh look, there he's taking a shower. See, that'd be just kind of creepy, wouldn't it? I mean that really that really would. And that's not anything like what is being communicated here. So there's a difference between somebody being in paradise in Hades and having an awareness of us and then just watching. Us live each day and each month. I don't know how he got that awareness, but I know he has it. Number five. Lastly, there is a chasm fixed between heaven and hell. We we had a number of questions last week. I said I'd answer that this week. There there's no there's no back and forth. There's no changing mind. There's no changing of status. I think the best way to understand this point is just real simply. Death sets eternity. Understand that? Death sets eternity. In this life, you and I are living in what is called the first death. That is not a reference to a, 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 to a funeral or to a casket or, or the day that you get buried. The first death is how you and I are born. We are dead in our sin. We are dead to God. That part of me created to know and relate with God, to love God and live for God is dead. And that's why at the ripe old age of 18 months, 24 months, we have to begin teaching our children to do good. You, don't have, you, you have to teach them to do what's right. Nobody's ever taught a child to lie. But my goodness, they all have an ability with it. Nobody's ever taught a, a child to be selfish, to swing and say, no, nobody's ever taught a child to do that. A hundred percent of them do. We, we are born in our sin nature we are dead to God and alive to sin, which is why Jesus Christ. I hope all these dots are being connected right now. Which is why Jesus says you need to be born again. What does "born again" mean? It, it not that. I, and it even says in John three, no, you're not born physically again. You've already got a physical birth. You need a spiritual birth. That part of you created to know God, love God, live for God, that needs to be born again. Now, if I'm never born again in this life, and I go into the next life, literally, as people, Revelation 21 says, as they're entering, Revelation 22, as they're entering the lake of fire, they're entering hell, the Bible says this is the second death. That's when my first death becomes permanent and eternal. In this life, I have limited ability to see and experience the goodness and presence of God, but I can Every unbeliever can experience the goodness of God, whether they acknowledge it or not, believe it or not, don't care about it or not. They can't experience it. In hell, we forever lose entirely the ability to experience anything good and and, and to experience God. That is the second death. Death sets eternity, which is why this guy is so concerned that something, someone, get to his brother's because this is forever and this is real. So where do we go? Let's sum it up. Let's wrap it up right here. The believer, when they die, Goes to paradise. You are with God. It is wonderful. It is awesome. It is where you want to be. When Jesus returns to this earth and collects all those who haven't died yet, and now all believers are together in heaven with Jesus, we will go through a judgment. It is not a judgment for heaven and hell because, praise God, all my sins have already been judged. They were already paid for and taken care of at the cross. I'm not being judged as to whether I'm going to heaven and hell. I'm on the way to heaven. I'm, that's why I've been in paradise all this time. No, I'm being judged with what I did with my life in Christ. I, I came, I became a believer when I was 17. Some of you were four or five. Some of you maybe were 52. But that's when life begins, and upon it you build a life in Christ. That is what is judged, and it is judged for what rewards and responsibility we're going to get in heaven. Not everybody's going to get the same, because that wouldn't be fair, would it? Now, let me say this. It's enough that you're in heaven. So that, that's kind of where things go and how it happens from there. The unbeliever goes immediately into Hades. It is, as we see, a very hell-like experience. The judgment begins, and all unbelievers are resurrected at one time to the great white throne judgment. Believers are not at the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is for all the people who are are unbelievers they are going to go before God and they're going to make a case for why they belong into heaven and they're going to hand God a resume that shows them everything they tried to be, everything they tried to do, or I did this, or I'm connected to them. They're basically saying, look how much like you and how much like heaven I am. And they are going to find out incredibly grossly how entirely unlike God and how entirely unlike his heaven that they are. And then they will, from there, enter into the lake of fire, also called hell. Now, what do you and I do with all this information? Because, believe it or not, God didn't give us all this information, so we'd go, oh, wow, okay, that, that connects some dots, that makes sense, wow, praise the Lord. W- what, what do we do with this information? You and I are now accountable For what we know, do you realize now, everybody in this room, everybody watching online, you have lost all ability to stand before God and say, I didn't know. Yes, you do. Yes, you do know. And you think, oh, this this is for the people who don't believe. Folks, all this information is given to believers. Because, you know, you and I will enter a week and not make a single decision Not think about how we're responding and acting and living this day. Realizing, hey, this is real. Everything I am and everything I do this week counts. And it counts forever. You think the guy in Hades would like his brothers to get it? This counts, guys. This is forever. So we've got this information now. Every day we live for eternity. Every day we live in light of eternity. And then there are those in here right now or watching online that are not yet believers. I know the guy in Hades would give anything if you'd repent. He'd give anything. Boy, isn't it so natural to think, well, you know, if God proves, because right now I don't see the evidence. God, God needs to prove. Do you know if God proved it, it wouldn't change anything about you? The devotion you have to that sin, the commitment you have to protect it, the love of self over God, wouldn't change a thing. I'll I'll just say what was said here. You have the Bible. You can ignore it or you can read it and listen to it, what it says. And what it says is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be adopted into his family and called a child of God. Or believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in Philippians 3.20. That instant is stamped your citizenship in heaven. What do you do with today's information? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I, I pray you would speak into each heart and life right now, into each soul And Lord, guide each of us into what we do need to do with this this information. Lord, I, I pray every believer in this room is thinking about how they lived last week. And did I do that? Did I respond? Did I make that decision in light of the reality of where everything ends up? God, may we be a people who live in light of eternity. May that be the great value in our lives and and the thing guiding our decisions. And, Lord, for those in here who have not yet repented, may this be the day. Speak into their heart. You need to repent. And, Lord, if they're mocking you right now, if they're scoffing at that, if they're waving it off, oh, Lord, in your grace, in your mercy, in your love, I pray a holy discomfort on them. I pray they are not comfortable with themselves until they come to this place of repentance. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.